Welcome, soft hearts. This is What is Romance, hosted by me, your favorite cynical romance author, Shy August. What we do here is ask your favorite romance author or your next favorite romance author to help us define what is romance. The definition of romance is a feeling of excitement and mystery associated with love. But we all know love and romance are as individual as each person. What works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another. You only have to take a look at all the different genres of romance to know that what engages some women won't engage others. The definition of romance does us a disservice. We all know when our heart engages with something or someone, a romance is treated like a dirty word. On this podcast, we want to break down the gestures, excitements, actions, and feelings of love that make the heart go boom. This is What is Romance with me, Shai August, your favorite cynical romance author. And today we're joined by what I would call the true definition of an entrepreneur. She runs subscription boxes. She's an ad wizard. She does amazing covers. And I don't think there isn't anything she can't do. So I'm pleased to welcome you to What is Romance, Danielle Romero. Thank you. Hi. (laughs) And it's great to have you on today. So tell our listeners who don't know of you, what genre of romance you write. So I write contemporary romance and paranormal romance as Daniela Romero, um, most of that being in the new adult vein, high school, college ages. So why contemporary romance in the new adult age? I have so much fun when my characters make mistakes. And I'm not allowed to swear, am I? I probably You're allowed to swear. swear. Go Okay. When my heroes fuck up, I feel like that's the most fun, right? Like you really want them to have kind of like these epic moments of falling on their faces. But a lot of new adult ages, you kind of expect them to be stupid and you're a little bit more understanding to their failures. So I like being able to have them like epically fuck up and then know that I can still fix it and that it's forgivable. But when you're like a 35-year-old man and you make some of those mistakes, it's like, no, you know better. Screw you. You're on your own. (laughs) You know better and you still did it anyway. I got you. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the question I always ask romance authors and they kind of hate me for it. When did you fall (laughs) in love with romance? Okay, don't make fun of me. Fifty Shades of Grey. No. Yes, because I became a reader during the Twilight craze. That was probably like the first set of books that I picked up outside of school for entertainment purposes. And it kind of introduced me to romance and the first, I want to say like adult contemporary romance books that I really got like obsessively into was Fifty Shades of Grey. And what about Fifty Shades of Grey drew you in? Okay, so I know that it's toxic as fuck, right? But Christian Grey was just so deliciously broken, like his backstory, that I loved him so much. I was just like, I saw like the little kid that was eating frozen peas and I wanted to fix him. Gotcha. So you fall in love with toxic characters? I fall in love with toxic. I write, I mean, I write a lot of bully romance. So yes, my characters tend to lean toxic. I don't write as dark as I read but I really like the toxic one. Okay. So when you say you like the toxic ones, but you read darker than you write. So who do you read that's darker than you write? Oh my God. Sam Mariano. Untouchables is like, 
I don't even know how to describe it. And then the boy on the bridge, the whole time I was reading it, even by the time I got to the end, I still did not like the hero. And inside, like, I was like, this is the guy that I warned my child away from. This is the guy that I never want my kids to date. But I loved the story so much. It was so good. And he was so fucking toxic the Mm -hmm. whole time. Every time he manipulated her and like just phrased everything perfect to get her to do what he wanted. Yeah, no, Mm -hmm. Sam Mariano is like the queen of toxic. Okay, so let's go on. What does romance mean to you? Romance in the most simplest terms is a happily ever after. How you get there, how long it takes you to get there and all of the dips and valleys that you go through to get there are wildly different. But at the end of the day, romance means an eventual happily ever after. I like that answer. That's a really good answer. Thanks. So what is the most romantic thing someone has done for you? So my husband, when we were dating, he used to work at a town a ton, like gone for two weeks, home for a weekend, gone for two weeks, home for a weekend kind of thing. And I think that we were still kind of newer in our relationship and he was going to be going away for like four or five weeks. So it's going to be a really long time, which is a long time when you're like 20. So he wrote me this cute little love note about how like he was going to miss me and he hopes that I missed him too. And you know, all the cheesy sappy stuff. And then he left post-it notes all over my house that said, I love you so that I could find them while he was gone and not forget how much he loved me. And they were like inside the microwave, inside the dryer lid, in places I could not reach like above my staircase. It was so cute. That is so cute because I am a sucker for a note. You write me a note. I think I've said this before on the podcast, but you write me a note and like, I'm there for it. I am mush. I still have it too. We've been together for 12 years now and I still have that note. Oh, that is so cute. Do you have it framed or do you just have it somewhere? I don't because of course, like he's still a guy, right? He wrote it on like one of those cheesy vertical notepads that you magnet stick on your refrigerator. And then he used that and cut that up and then taped the stickies all over the place. Because he wasn't thinking like, let me get like a nice piece of paper and like actual sticky notes. So basically it's like on a to-do list. So I have it sitting on my bookshelf actually, but it's not framed. Gotcha. I would still frame it because, you know, it's the thought that counts on that one. It is the thought that counts, yes. Okay, so let's do the reverse. What's the most romantic thing you have done for someone? I'm not very romantic. Gave them lots of sexy times. Okay, ye sex tricks. That works for some. <laughs> I don't know. Like, that sounds awful. I can't think of, like, any big grand gesture thing um, that I've done. Like, I've planned dates before and, like, surprise birthday parties before. I don't feel like any of that was as cute and romantic as what he did for me. I suck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's something to work on in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for bringing that to my attention. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> So what are your top three favorite romance tropes? Enemies to lovers, but it has to be real enemies to lovers. I feel like a lot of enemies to lovers gets kind of like masked as second chance romance. Like we were together and something happened and now I hate you. That's not enemies to lovers to me. So enemies to lovers. I'm a sucker for a really good secret baby. Secret baby. Okay. And then... I really like the like Romeo and Juliet retelling tropes. 
That's different. So what is it about Romeo and Juliet retellings? Because on top of it being enemies to some extent, right, it's also like an extra layer of forbidden. There's like external factors that are keeping them apart, whether it be their families or different, like in paranormal stuff, you'd be like different species or from different factions. I like the add of that forbidden element on top of it. Okay. And the stakes are usually higher. The stakes really are higher in the Romeo and Juliet ones. I can understand that. So who are your top five romance authors? That's so hard because it changes for me all the time. I'm admittedly a binge reader. So I read anywhere from 20 to 30 books a month, I would say. 20 to 30 a month. That is very nice. (laughs) So you can do a book a day almost. I can do a book a day. I have to when I'm on deadlines, actually don't let myself read or I will just stop writing to go and read. I would say right now, my current favorites are LJ Shen Mm -hmm. is probably one of my favorites for contemporary romance. Megan Brandy is another favorite. Sam Mariano. I really love a good Nalini Singh paranormal romance. And I've recently started binging Ella Fields and her her paranormal stuff. So do you read more paranormal or more contemporary? It's probably split. I go through flavors and where I'll binge contemporary and then binge paranormal and then binge fantasy, maybe do a little bit of YA, come back to contemporary, mm-hmm. do some historicals. You, so you do the whole gamut. Do the whole gamut. Now, you had a little bit of homework. Did you find out what your love language is? I do know what my love language is like. So what is your love language and how does that affect what you perceive as romantic? My top two love languages are acts of service and words of affirmation. So I guess on like how you like how it affects how I perceive romance is I feel like because acts of service is my number one, it is more like makes something easier for the heroine's life or to save her, to protect her. He's like, he's putting in the work. Gotcha. So you like a guy who puts in the work, who Mm -hmm. does romantic gestures, who does little everyday things to help her life be easier. What about words of affirmation? I think that this is probably because I really like bully romances and enemies to lovers romances. And you have to, when you're, it's going to sound like the wrong word, but it's really not. When you're in a relationship and there's some form of degradation, you need to make up for it but the like dirty talking sexy times so the words of affirmation i feel like make up for that so you think words of affirmation are like a form of self-care or a form of aftercare i should say i think it's a form of aftercare okay gotcha (laughs) i gotcha i can see how you how you can perceive that especially since like i said earlier i'm reading one of your books so like you know cleaning it up It's like after you've been a little rough, after you've been a little critical, it's a way to make sure and reassure the person that you're with, that you're, you're actually caring and considerate of their time and attention and feelings. Yes. And it's kind of like, so I don't know if this trope necessarily has a name or not, but like the whole, I hate everybody, but you trope, right? I love that. Like, can you just be a dick and a douchebag all the time? Even to her sometimes, but you actually do like her. So you make up for it later. (laughs) 
I don't think that's an actual established trope, but like, I understand because I tell people all the time, my perfect guy is about 35% asshole. So <laughs> between 35 and 40%, that's like the perfect amount of asshole. I mean, you know? I, I feel like my husband's probably about 60%, but that makes so much sense now that you, <laughs> you've told it's me. It's okay. He knows. He knows. He knows he's 60% <laughs> asshole. <laughs> he knows. That is amazing. So I understand that you like big gestures, but what are some small gestures that you like as well? So I, in terms of like relationships, I really want a partner who is going to pull their weight. So for small gestures, like help with children, help with dishes, help with domestic duties, especially when like we all work, your work is not more important or more exhausting or more whatever than my work, right? Mm -hmm. I'm very not into gender roles where like this is women's work and this is men's work and whatever. I think that everybody needs to pull their weight. And I think that in a relationship in like the acts of service thing that I appreciate is that I want a partner. I don't want another child to take care of. In interviewing other authors, I found that that is one of the things that sometimes most attracts them to their husband or their partner is that the person's willing to cook or clean or help with the kids or do something that's not in a traditional gender role that makes life easier. And I find that romantic as well. Cause like when I was married, my ex-husband, he would cook. And I was like, yes, cause you know, that's one of the things I like to eat and I sometimes love to cook, but I don't want to do it every day because it's not just like a chore. It's like, what is it? It's, it's whatever is above a chore. It's like something that is just so routinely pulling me down that I hate it so much. Um, and it takes the joy out of cooking for me if I have to do it every day. Well, especially too, like now my husband and I both work from home and that's three meals a day that we actually have to worry about because no matter what, we always have at least one child at home because <laughs> they're not all quite ready for school. So it's like, it's not just now, you know, oh, I got home from work. I have to make dinner. It's like, oh crap, I have to make breakfast. Oh crap, I have to make lunch and I have to make dinner and I have to pack lunches and like, And it takes the joy out of it when you have to do something every day. So the small gestures are pulling their weight around the house. What are the grand romantic gestures that would win your heart? This episode of What is Romance is sponsored by Three Fortnights Press, bringing you women of color led romances such as Alexis D. Craig's Wing Guardian series featuring the double award winning A Killing Moon. The sequels A Hunter's Moon and A Sugar Moon are both now on sale. And you can pick up the whole collection as a three-part box set at Amazon and Kindle Unlimited. I don't know that this is necessarily a grand one, but like take the kids and let me sleep in until I actually want to get out of bed whenever that might be. Just give me a day to like operate on my own schedule. That would be amazing. I feel like I'm such a workaholic that I'm just usually like, give me a day to work without interruptions and I would be so happy. I don't know that I really have any big grand gestures that like I seek or that I want. I'm pretty easy in that like time is very valuable to me. If there is a way that somebody can give me time, mm-hmm. I'm pretty happy. So you want someone who's respectful of your time and giving you time is one of those things that I think everybody wants. Everybody wants more time to not only work, but to relax. And I can definitely see how you would want that. So over here, we play a little game. It's called Romantic or Not. And I'm going to read you a news story. And then you have to tell me if it was romantic or not. Okay. Are you ready? 
I'm ready. Couples monumental Paris F up, or I should say fuck up, proves romantic gestures don't always end well. And it starts off with a quote from the couple. This is why we don't do surprises anymore. Paris is known as the city of Amour, but tragic things have happened there too. From Marie Antoinette's gruesome men to tourists inhaling entire baguettes before lunch, atrocities still happen to this very day. A yang to the city's yin, if you will. Speaking of polar opposites, one Paris tale went viral in January 2021, recently gave the internet a thank God it wasn't me moment. A Scottish man, Finley McAfee, flew to Paris from Edinburgh in January 2017, but it didn't turn out as romantic as he hoped. Rather than surprising his girlfriend at the airport, who was on her way back to Edinburgh from Beirut with a 12-hour stopover in Paris, it turned out to be quite an expensive era. McAfee, a 23-year-old student at Edinburgh University at the time, told CNN Travel that his plan was to surprise his girlfriend, the then 21-year-old Salma Saad, at Charles de Gaulle Airport. But little did McAfee know that just as he boarded his Edinburgh to Paris flight, Saad was already landing in the Scottish capital. Turns out she'd switched to an earlier fight with the same goal to surprise her partner and be reunited a day earlier. The couple had actually been transitioning through Edinburgh Airport at the same time. The tale drew sympathy of the internet with various Twitter users showing solidarity and pointing out it could have been a lot worse. I don't mind this kind of surprise, one Twitter user wrote. The one I got was that the person I went to surprise surprised me by lavishing attention meant for me on some other person. All's well that ends well, however. That appears to be the case with Saad and McAfee, whose CNN travel reports are still together. Now, living in London, where McAfee is a software engineer and Saad works for the Scottish National Party. And then they have some cute little screenshots of text messages from her texting his roommate to see if he was home so she could come by and surprise him. And then her texting him like, hey, I'm here in Edinburgh. Where are you? And he's like, I'm in Paris. That's too funny. I think that that's cute and romantic on her part. I think it's stupid on his part. (laughs) There's so many other better uses of your money than hopping on a flight when she's supposed to be coming home the very next day. Like, it's not like you guys get to spend time together over there. But it's a 12-hour layover. So Paris is not like most airports in the U.S. where it's like three hours to get there. They would be able to walk out and go do the walk along the Seine and see the Arc de Triomphe and take pictures in front of the Eiffel Tower and then get back just in time to catch their flight. So I can see why he would do it. Yeah, but see, then that's just like, she's already been in Paris, right? No, she was so in she, Beirut. Oh, she just had a layover in Paris? Mm-hmm. Did that change your no, mind? <laughs> no. Feels, no, because I feel like for her to like come home early and surprise him, like she was already going to be coming home. It didn't create any, a bunch of additional issues unless she's like trying to catch him in the act of something. But for, I don't know. I don't know. I'm also a little weird when I'm traveling, like I'm in travel mode. I'm at the airport. I don't look cute. All my shit's been like checked in somewhere. I just, I would be like, oh, hi. And then I think like, oh shit. (laughs) Romantic on her part, stupid on his. He should have just tried to like plan a Paris trip, like to be an actual thing. Yeah. All right. So I have one more. <laughs> okay. 
All right. One more story for you. And this one is Ring Bearer and Flower Girl found love 45 years later. That already sounds cute. Raymond Heber estimates that he had told this story a hundred times. He'll never get tired of telling people about the forces that brought him to his soulmate at 51. The story begins in 1969 when Raymond walked down the aisle with Helen Klinger for the first time. They were the ring bearer and flower girl in the wedding of Raymond's uncle, Deron, and Helen's older sister, Charlotte. Ray was about six and Helen was seven. After the wedding, they remained childhood playmates meeting up at family picnics and pool parties in the coal region of Pennsylvania, where they live. But by the time they were teenagers, their lives took different directions. Helen married young and had four children. Raymond joined the Navy, married and had a son. Things didn't work out how either of them planned. Raymond's wife died of lung cancer after 30 years of marriage, and Helen's marriage ended in divorce. In early 2014, they were both on their own again, living 50 miles apart in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. All she wanted in her life was someone to love her for her, Raymond said. And the way I was left, all I wanted was someone to love for one more day. That's when they they like to call the divine conspiracy begin. Ron and Charlotte, now living in Las Vegas, travel back to Pennsylvania in May to celebrate their 45th wedding anniversary. Thinking of the couple, knowing they each could use a companion, Charlotte suggested Raymond give Helen a call just to talk. He was nervous. He said, it's been years. I don't even know if she would know me anymore. Charlotte remembers. Raymond called Helen a week later. You can probably guess what happened after that. Things just fit together. They were no real working stuff out. The thing, the whole thing was very easy. The families knew each other. I knew her brothers. I knew her sister. She knows my whole family and everything just worked out. Raymond said, Helen, who says Raymond had appeared to her in a dream weeks before they reconnected, looks at the picture of him and her as ring bearer and flower girl and believes they had a spiritual connection even then. Sometimes they wonder why they didn't get married all those years ago, but they truly believe God did have a plan. If his wife hadn't passed away and not hadn't gotten divorced, we probably would have never met again, said Helen, who just turned 53. I think he was supposed to go through that experience, just like I was supposed to go through my experience to be a better person. After dating for four months, they walked down the aisle for the second time on September 14, 2014, to become husband and wife again. This time, the roles were reversed. Ray's uncle carried the rings and Helen's sister carried the flowers. That was cute. You lost me a little bit when we threw Jesus and God in there. But then like <laughs> you circled back and it's okay. I'm back on board. I didn't write it. CNN wrote it. I know. <laughs> but do you think it's romantic or not? I think it's super romantic as long as like we're not going off of their story. But like <laughs> if you just take the facts. The facts that... The ring bearer and the flower girl got married they were 45 the ring years later. And the flower girl that they both had other successful relationships, but still, you know, fates were at play and they were really meant for each other and tragedy struck and they ended up reconnecting. I think all of that is adorable. I do also genuinely believe sometimes you have to go through other relationships to become like this is gonna sound awful. Most of my mom friends, my real life like parental friends who also have children and we get together whatever right are married a second time or their spouse is married a second like they are their spouse's second right the running joke is like that they never would have ended up with that person or married that person if they met them pre being married to another woman because that guy (laughs) needed to learn how to be a husband and a parent And they had to fail before they'd get their own stupidness out of their head and realize that 
you know, what these women wanted from them was not unreasonable and that they were just overgrown children. Do you remember the show? I think it was Deborah Messing. It was called The Starter Wife. I consider people who get married the first time and it doesn't work out really well, like the starter husband or the starter wife. So I completely understand how sometimes the second time you get it right. And the first time you didn't. And I feel like you get it right because the guy had to grow up and the guy had to do things on his own. And the guy realized there was not a woman there to save the day. And then they're better for the next one. They're a better husband for the next one. They're a better husband. They're a better person for everybody, not just the next wife, but for everyone involved. So are we going to be able to get a sneak peek of a chapter from your next work? Like you want me to read it? Hopefully it's not too far. Introduce the name of the book and any synopsis you want to have leading up to it, and then go ahead and launch into it. Okay, so I'm going to read chapter 16 out of Wicked Devil. Wicked Devil is book one in my uh, Enemies to Lovers sports romance series. And this scene is, I feel like it's kind of when the hero realizes he is genuinely interested in our heroine and needs to not be such a dick. (laughs) That works for me. So yeah, we'll just get right into it if I can find my page. Okay. And it's kind of, it's a little bit shorter, but I feel like it shows some of the banter between all of the guys and these guys also then become main characters in their own books in the series later. She doesn't look at me the rest of the weekend. I should have expected this, calculated the risk. I know she's not some meek little wallflower, no matter that she sometimes pretends to be. She's punishing me for leaving her hanging and it's fucking working. What was supposed to be a punishment for her A reminder of who the fuck was in charge here ended up backfiring on me, and now I'm watching her like some lovesick dog without his bone. I keep forgetting she isn't like the rest of the girls here at Sun Valley High. She doesn't give two shits who I am, and she's making that abundantly clear. She sticks close to Henderson all day Saturday, leaving me little room to swoop in and take her. At least, I don't think it is for her, but every time that asshole throws an arm around her shoulders, I want to pummel his face in. Allie Ramirez is mine. Mine to fuck, mine to hurt, mine to soothe, should I decide to. I'm itching to touch her and it's doing things to my head I don't like. Ro, what's your deal, man? Dom asked as I brood on the cabin porch, sipping on a glass of water and nursing back a bit of a hangover from the night before. I don't drink often. None of us do. Football's too important, but the few beers in the game of beer pong are leaving their mark today. I figured you'd fuck the girl out of your system and walk away. What gives? I grunt. Maybe I just want a few more fucks before I move along. Before I finish the sentence, he's already shaking his head. Nah, I've seen you with girls. This one's different. I get the whole mind game shit you like to pull with chicks, but even that's different with her. You cooked last night and don't try and bullshit me into believing that was for me or Emilio. You did that for her. Why? Emilio interrupts, stepping outside, still rocking that stupid bright ass bikini over his sweatpants. I like Allie. Can we keep her? Dom and I both jerk our heads towards him. What? I ask in surprise. Or what? I ask surprise coloring my voice. I said, can we keep her? She's not a puppy, Dom chides, but his brows furrow like he's wondering the same thing. Why? I ask again. Emilio rolls his eyes. Hello, I just said because I like her. Are you even paying attention? What is up with you today, man? I turn to Dom, but all he does is shrug and raise the brows up to say, don't ask me. Some help he is. I don't get the side of Emilio. Sure, the guy's nice to pretty much everyone, but only at face value. He doesn't actually like people. I don't even think he cares for Dom or I all that much, and we're his best fucking friend. What happened to you two fuckers saying I need to focus on the field? 
I changed my mind. I want to keep her. If you're not into her anymore, now that you've had your fun, just say the word. I don't mind sloppy seconds. Based on the sounds I heard coming from your room last night, that girl is well worth the trouble. I stand and take a menacing step toward my best friend, ready to nail the asshole in the face with my fist when Dom steps between us. What are you planning here? To wipe that smug look off his face, I point my water bottle right at Amelia and the fucker smiles at me. Dom shakes his head. Not with numb nuts over there. What are you planning with Allie? My jaw tightens and I glare at him. I don't have any plans, I bite out. Why the fuck are you two down my throat all about her all of a sudden? She's not like other girls, he says. I'm aware. If she was, she'd be over here kissing my boots instead of playing around with Henderson all goddamn day. What do you want from me? Emilio shoves himself between the two of us and flicks his gaze back and forth. He wants you to lay out your intentions, Rome. We both do. And for once, the dude has a serious expression on his face. I glower. Why the hell are you two so goddamn interested in who I fuck all of a sudden? Dom grunts. Because Emilio's right. We like her. Neither of us wants you to fuck things up for us. My mouth drops open. For us? Emilio nods and smacks me in the chest lightheartedly. Yeah, fucker. For us. Like I said, we like her. She fits in with our crew. She doesn't see dollar signs when she looks at any of us like the other chicks in this town. We could use a feminine touch-up in here. Too much testosterone with you two jackasses all the time, if you ask me. And your dick is going to fuck that up. So this is us telling you not to do that. Won't be in this? Do you understand? Was he fucking with me right now? Say whatever you need to say to her. He fucked something up this morning or she wouldn't be hanging out with that ass swipe and you wouldn't be over here brooding. My jaw clenches. This isn't how things roll with us. There's a bite in my tone I usually reserve for everyone but the two people beside me. Dominic and Emilio are like my brothers. They're family, but I don't take orders from anyone and I don't have to explain myself to them. Emilio meets my stare and his eyes narrow. Breaking with something I'm not used to seeing in his gaze. She's the relationship type. I work my jaw harder. And this matters to you because you're not. Never tried to claim I was, I remind him. And then I add in for good measure. She laid her cards out first. She wants fun. No strings. Don't jump down my throat for giving the girl exactly what she asked for. Both their expressions consider me for a moment, searching for any deception. Then Dom asks, she really said that? He doesn't sound convinced. Yeah, fucker, she did. So calm down. Fine. Let's assume we buy that. What'd you do to piss her off? My shoulders sag and I grit my teeth. Come on, fucker, spill. Emilio says, all but bouncing beside me. The guy is wired this morning. I need to remember to hide the fucking coffee from him. I fucked her. And? I half out of breath. And I withheld her orgasm when she refused to beg for it. Dominic whistles and Emilio whoops, then says, I always knew you were a shady asshole with control issues, but fuck, man, that's cold. And let me guess, you still got yours. I nod. Emilio cackles, covering his mouth as he folds over at the waist before he straightens. There are tears of laughter shining in his eyes. Damn, if you went inside that pussy anytime soon, expect to do some groveling. Not fucking happening. And that's the chapter. That's great. That is so great. So, what do you think someone who's never read you before would think of that chapter? Don't know. That Roman's a lovable asshole? <laughs> <laughs> So is that what you hope to have in all of your books, a lovable asshole as the main character? I would love to say that not all of my characters are assholes, but when I look back and think about the books that are published out, they kind of are all lovable assholes. Yeah. (laughs) And that's for your contemporary and your paranormal? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we'll let it go with that. I mean, I... Like I told you, I love a lovable asshole. So 
What do you have coming up? So right now I have two books that are kind of right around the corner. I am releasing The Savage, Mm -hmm. which is book one in a brand new series of interconnected standalones. And I will just preface this by saying all of my books to some extent deal with like some form of trauma or like real life emotions or problems. I feel like I don't gloss over a lot of those things. So that one is hits a little bit on the trauma a little harder than I think my previous books did. My -hmm. guy's a little bit less of an asshole. He's not as much of an asshole, but he's very blunt and very to the point. And then after that, I have Cruel Promise coming out, which is book four in the Devils of Sun Valley High series, but technically part two of Dominic and Casey. And it's probably the one book that all of my readers are like the most excited for because the previous book, Cruel Devil, ended in a very, a very big cliff. Oh, okay. Now, where can our listeners find you? So all the normal places, I'm on Amazon and Goodreads. Um, it's probably easiest to go to my website, which is Daniela and then dash Romero dot com and there are all of my books my translations my audiobooks places to find signed copies um, and all the good stuff is that the same for your social media daniela romero yes okay so it has been great having you on i appreciate you showing up today even though you've got the panoramic virus (laughs) (laughs) sorry for all the throat clearing that's okay it everybody knows at this point it's in the air it's just metastasized in the air so it in the air or having babies. I don't even know what to say anymore. <laughs> but I got to send one kid, one kid after having COVID is now COVID negative and got to go to school. Yeah. So, that was exciting. so I appreciate you coming on and I hope that you had a great time with me. I did. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Hey, soft hearts, it's me, Shy, and it's the future, and it's kind of late at night, but I just realized, I didn't tell you how much fun I had talking with Daniela. Um, she's fun, she's quirky, and she's also a member of one of my daytime sprinting groups, so like, I love her. She has good energy, and she always has something borderline sarcastic to say, and who doesn't love somebody who's sarcastic? I hope you enjoyed this episode, and as always, stay romantic.